scripture reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, through chapter 12, verse 13. This can be found on page 821 of your Pew Bible. Second Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 1. I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I've kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do, and I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. What anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. 
have known hunger and thirst have often gone without food, have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? If I, my, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the king, in Damascus, the governor under King Aratus had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up in paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on you. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super-apostles, even though I am nothing. The things that mark apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. How are you inferior to the other churches, except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. on the wall. Who's the best quarterback of all? (laughs) We have a lot of mirrors on this wall. Tom Brady or maybe Peyton Manning? Uh, Kaepernick or Wilson? A mirror, mirror on the wall. What's the best car of all? Oh, Lamborghini. You guys have higher standards than I have. I was just thinking about Acura or BMW. Lamborghini, sure. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Where do I get the best burger of all? Okay. Yeah, in and out, but not here, maybe. A Shake Shack? Or if we're a little bit more ambitious, the dozen uh, specialty burger shops in Boston. Mirror, mirror on the wall. What's the best church of all? Yeah, there you go. We know that. Saddleback or Willow Creek. 
or North Point, or New Song, or Park Street, or Grace, or High Rock, or BCEC, or CBC. Mirror, mirror on the wall. This is the most important question of all. Who's the best pastor of all? (laughs) Tim Keller, or John Piper, or Rick Warren, or Bill Hybels, or Andy Stanley, or Francis Chan? A sociologist wrote a study. Are we having trouble with this mic? Is it mine, or should should I resort to this? Sorry? Wave to me. Okay, just do that. Okay, now I can't move. Okay, I can move. (laughs) A sociologist wrote a study of Christianity in America, and his subtitle was this, Winners and Losers in the Religious Economy. His basic point was that Capitalistic society creates competition, and we have our favorites among the ice cream shops and among everything else, our cars and, and uh, restaurants and so forth. We also end up competing religiously between our favorite churches or our favorite pastors. Now, this is nothing new. This whole section, this long section, right? for those of you who don't come here regularly, what we do is we preach through one piece of scripture at a time, one idea at a time. And you notice how long this reading was. Because for a chapter and a half, the Apostle Paul, of all people we admire, the Apostle Paul had to defend himself. Actually, the entire book of 2 Corinthians, Paul defends himself. And that's basically all he does in the whole book. He was being accused of, uh, as a troublemaker. He was accused of being unreliable. He was accused of being harsh and vindictive. He was accused that his, his preaching is ineffective. He was accused that his theology is defective. They finally said in chapter 5, chapter 4 to 5, that he's so bad he should just quit. So all through chapters 1 to 5, Paul's defending himself. And we looked a few weeks ago. At one point, basically Paul had to turn around to the Corinthians and say, instead of defending himself, he started attacking them and said, why you should value me, he told them. And he gave them a number of reasons why they should value. Now, this is related, but somewhat different. Because right now, if you notice as we went through, you heard that odd expression, super apostles? Because what the Corinthians are doing is they found some people they like better than him some preachers and some pastors they like better than him. They've called these visiting preachers super apostles, and they compare Paul to them, and and they say, well, Paul doesn't make out very well. And so now in this whole chapter and a half, Paul is defending himself from comparative evaluation. For a chapter and a half, what Paul is saying is why he's not inferior to these other pastors that the Corinthians admire. We'd never think, you know, we have Paul's letters, so we have the books written by the winner in this competition. We would never assume that anyone ever thought the Apostle Paul was the loser, but they certainly did. And so throughout this whole chapter and a half, what he's telling them is why he doesn't lose in this competition. Now, he makes basically three points. First thing he says is, the entire idea of a competition is stupid. 
This is dumb. The second thing he says is, if there were a competition, let's say the competition is legitimate, Paul says, he wouldn't lose. And the third point he makes is why, he explains why he wouldn't lose in this competition. So turn with me, it's page 821. Well, look, first of all, his first point is, the whole idea that we need to compare works of God to discern who's the better one, or that we need to compare workers of God to compare, to decide who's the better one. This whole idea is stupid, Paul says. Take a look at verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, he doesn't say stupid, he uses the word foolish. Moronic. Uh, actually, the, the Greek word foolish comes from, is moros, comes from, uh, we get the English word moronic from it. Take a look at verse 1. I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. Uh, chapter 11. Verse 16 to 19. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. I'm not talking as the Lord would. I'm talking like a fool would. But since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you're so wise. This whole train of thought, Paul's saying, is foolish. Take a look at chapter 11, verse 21. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking like a fool, I also dare to boast about. Chapter 11, verse 23. Are these other people's servants of Christ? Now I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more a servant of Christ than they are. Chapter 12, verse 11. I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you. You know, the the whole idea that where God works in one church or another, or through one Christian or another, through one ministry or another, that, that where God works, then we should kind of sit in evaluation and decide, where is God working more? Or of these ministries and people through whom God is working, which of these is better? This whole idea, Paul says, what, six, eight times here. This is stupid. This is moronic. This is foolish. We're not competitors in the work of God. You know, have you noticed that wherever Burger King is situated, there's a McDonald's kind of on the same block? And, and, and uh, maybe a, a, a subway there as well. You know, they're competitors. One needs your business by keeping it away from the other. But what Paul is saying here, in the, in the Christian context, we're not competitors. Now, it's true that some churches will have strengths and where other churches have weaknesses and vice versa. But wherever God is at work... God is at work. And it's stupid, Paul says. It's foolish. It's moronic to say, oh, this is especially where God, this one's better because, I don't know, it's not the different God. This one's better than that one. Paul says all of this is silliness. And if it went on in his time, it will go on in ours. It's just a human nature. Is when you have, even within the same church, when you have multiple staff, it's inevitable that people will compare those staff. 
Now, that was the problem in 1 Corinthians. People will compare staff within the same church. Now, the problem in 2 Corinthians is that they're comparing Paul with staff outside that church or the work that he's doing in that church with the work going on in other churches. Inevitable that we do this. And Paul even says that. Given that others are boasting the way the world boasts, this is the way the world does things. Paul says, given that others are doing that, I'll engage in a little bit of it too. Even though it's entirely stupid, I'll do it. So the first thing we want to take away from this, the big thing we want to take away from this, is that question that begins mirror, mirror on the wall is not a Christian question. It's a worldly question. It may be a capitalist question, but it's not a question that Christians ask. However, he says, if we want to ask that question, his second point is, he's not the loser in any of these competitions. Take a look at chapter 11, verse 5. Notice how he says there, I do not think that I am in the least inferior to these super apostles. You see? Paul wouldn't call them super apostles, right? But the Corinthians were calling them super apostles or treating them like they were super apostles. And Paul says, no, I'm not inferior to any of them. He says the same thing again at the end, chapter 12, verse 11. I'm not in the least inferior to the super apostles. Now, this is a dumb way to talk, and he knows it. And so he adds. He's not comfortable with this. I'm not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. You see, here's the irony of talking this way. Even though I am nothing. When we admire the work that a church is doing, when we admire the work of a ministry, you know, for example, when I was a first-year university, we had three major evangelical ministries on campus ministries. And, you know, people in each one were kind of tending to compare each other and decide which is the better ministry and which is the more powerful and which is the more evangelistic, which is the most nurturing. When we do this, Oh, when we compare pastors and say, okay, this is the one I like better, either inside the church or outside the church, you see the irony is that Paul's point here, these things are nothing. These churches are nothing. These ministries are nothing. These people are nothing. Because if it's anything, It's God working through those churches. God working in those ministries. God working through those staff and those pastors and those missionaries. It's not them, for the most part. The real power, the real effectiveness, the real work that's being done is what God is doing. And so instead of comparing and contrasting, what we do is we honor God. We glorify God. I've made a fool of myself, he said to them, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I'm not the least inferior to these super apostles. But no matter how good I am, Paul says, I am nothing. God is everything. And now he goes through, uh, you could divide it any number of ways, at least eight different reasons why he's not inferior. 
Do you know why the passage takes so long? It's because this is such a painful tension between the Corinthians and him. And he wants them to be sure that he's not at all inferior. And so he goes through eight different ways in which he's not inferior to anyone else in the people they admire. So we won't go through all eight. We don't want, well, unless I talk really fast. We're going to go, I'm going to give you an idea. We'll go through the first few. It'll give you an idea of how he's not inferior. And then I'll leave you to look up the rest on your own. You can probably figure that out. I mean, clear enough. I've given you the verse numbers. I haven't told you what the category is. But here's here's what ties them all together. In every single one of the eight cases, what he's telling the Corinthians is, look, if you really want to compare people, here's what you should be comparing. Not what you are comparing. You notice what we compare when we want to... when we. Compare it which churches are better, which ministries are better on campus, which pastors are better. What do we compare? Typically, we either compare size or we compare uh, excitement level or we compare personality. Now, Paul never says, my personality is better than theirs. Paul never says, I generate more excitement when I speak than they do. Uh, Paul never says, I've won more converts than they have. These are the same kind of criteria you would use in a company. Who's the best chip manufacturer? You'd look at, typically, revenue, the size of number of customers. You'd look at customer base. If you compare restaurants, you'd look at some of these features. If you compare cars, you'd look at some of these features. But Paul says, none of this matters in ministry. Here's what matters. So if you're going to compare, here's some things you should compare. And here's the reasons Paul says why I am not inferior. Notice the first thing, why he's not inferior. Notice the first one he gives in verses uh, 3 through 6. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure, pure devotion to Christ. If someone comes to you and preaches a different Jesus than the one we preached, or if you receive a different spirit than the one we passed, or a different gospel than the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. We won't go into the detail here, but what's the point? It's interesting that Paul starts here, because this is not where we would start. Paul's first defense of his ministry is this. He's saying, My theology is in no way inferior to theirs. He started with theology. If someone comes to you and preaches a different Jesus, a different gospel, then you put up with it easily enough. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker. One of the complaints about Paul was he was not a flowery speaker. He was not a professional orator. I may, not be, I may be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. His first defense is not his personality. His first defense is not how many converts he's won. His first defense is his theology. Paul says, if I'm inferior, it's certainly not on this basis. My theology stacks up as well as anybody else's. The second criteria, he comes up in verses 7 to 9. Was it a sin for me to lower myself? in order to preach the gospel to you free of charge. I took money from other churches. I robbed other churches, supported by them, so I could serve you. 
I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I need. What's going on here is this. This doesn't fit our context at all. It doesn't seem natural to us. In those days, they didn't have rock bands, right? They didn't have speakers and amplifiers. What they had was rock philosophers. They had philosophers who would travel around and provided the entertainment, and the philosophers would have big followings. And the better the philosopher, the more he could charge. You know, he'd go out in the public square. Remember when Paul went to any new city, what did he do? He'd go in the public square and start talking about Jesus. That wasn't weird. You know, if you go down to city square, it's going to be really weird to start standing up in the middle and yelling about Jesus. In those days, this is what people did. Traveling philosophers would go to the town square, talk, talk about Jesus. Oh, no, talk about philosophy. And then Christians would talk about Jesus. They get you interested. And then they say, okay, the rest of this teaching is going to be in the hall afterwards. And then they put somebody at the door to the hall to t- charge admission. So this is one way you can tell who a good speaker is, by how much money they charge. It's like rock bands today, right? You know, if you've, just got, a, if you've got a cover band, they'll charge one fee. If you've got a famous band from, you know, nationally famous band, it'll be another fee. Internationally famous band, it'll be a higher ticket price. This is how we evaluate things. And, and, and now here's the problem. Paul's preaching for free. So he can't be very good because no one will pay to hear him. Paul turns it around and says, look, I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so I could serve you. The brothers from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I kept myself from being a burden in any way. Paul's giving us a second criteria. Not only is his theology more substantial and solid than theirs, on top of that, his finances are more sacrificial. He's serving them without regard to the money he gets from them. He gives a third line of evidence that he's not inferior in verses 13 to 15. Such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. No wonder Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Paul is saying, look, my theology, my my authority comes from Christ and has been confirmed by the church. These people don't have legitimate authority. My authority is legitimate, he says. Verses 20 to 21, he gives another reason why he's superior. You put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we are too weak for that. Here's another way that they know he's not inferior. Not because he lacks a dominant personality, he's not authoritative, he doesn't boss them around. Just the opposite, he says. I'm gentle with you. This is an indication that I'm not inferior. The famous passage in 23 gives a a fifth reason he's not inferior. I've worked harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. And he goes through this long litany of suffering. Why is he not inferior? Because he suffered more than the rest. Why is he not inferior? Take a look at verses 1 to 4. 
I know, verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Do you realize there's three heavens? Actually, there's probably seven heavens, at least by the way some people count. Paul is talking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. By some counting, by some ways of counting, there was only three heavens. Other ways of counting, there were seven. I don't know. Uh, My theology is not deep enough to understand these things. I'm not the apostle Paul. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I don't know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and he heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. See, Paul starts with theology. But he doesn't stop there. This sixth reason why he's not inferior is because his theology is coupled with mystical experience. He's had a transcendent experience of God. Now, in our contemporary world, people tend to be more theological or more mystical. Paul says, however you measure these things, I've had both the theological background and training and the mystical experience. The seventh reason Paul gives in verses 7 to 10 is particularly iconoclastic. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So notice the conclusion here in verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. They're having a competition between churches, between ministries, between pastors to see who has the greatest strengths. And earlier, Paul's implying that those strengths are not theirs. They're they're God-given. So we shouldn't be honoring them. We should be honoring God. But now he turns it all around. And he says, actually, God works more powerfully when we're weak than when we're strong. And we don't know what this disability he had was. There was something that went on in his life, probably physicality. There was probably some physical disability he had that humiliated him in public. Uh, Some people think maybe he had epileptic fits just because in that day and age, people didn't understand these things and and, and considered it really shameful. They, They didn't realize what was going on. But we don't know that it was that. It could have been any number of conditions he had. You know, It could have just been some kidney condition that people were afraid of. We don't have any idea. All we know is that it humiliated him. He was embarrassed about it in public because he knew people would whisper about it behind his back. Three times, he says, I plead with the Lord to take it away. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. Where you're weak, I'm strong. And so he says, I delight in weakness. So it's not just the strengths we need to compare. If you see a weakness in somebody that you want to admire, then here's Paul's word for you. When they're weak, through God, they're strong. We're comparing the wrong thing entirely. And finally, in verse 12, the eighth reason. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of an apostle, including signs and wonders and miracles. Do Do you see this? Paul is saying, look, my theology is as strong as theirs or better. 
My experience of God and mysticism is as strong as theirs or better. And I do more miracles than they do. Who can say this today? Tying it all together, think about it this way. The things we admire in a church or in a ministry or in a, in a person typically don't count with God. None of those things that we admire from a worldly perspective appear on this list. But notice this. As much as we admire the Apostle Paul, the church where he spent more time than any other church, he had spent 18 months in Corinth, the church that knew him better than any other church, that had seen him in more, more ministry situations than any other church. That church did not admire him. They kind of despised him. And so he spent a, a chapter and a half, or book, entire book, telling them why they should respect him and why he's not inferior to any of these others. If the Apostle Paul, with the depth of his theology, if the Apostle Paul, with the depth of his mystical experience of God, if the Apostle Paul, with his miracle-working powers, didn't measure up in these comparisons, what hope is there for any other church, for any other ministry, for any other pastor? I don't measure up to this list of eight. This church doesn't measure up to this list of eight. No ministry I've ever been associated with, even internationally famous ones, measures up to this list of eight. If we start scrutinizing and comparing, what hope is there for any of us? And maybe I think this is more of a problem for us than it might be for the Anglo community, for example. Do you know how your parents raised you and how they motivated you when they were... Now, maybe your parents are broad-minded and didn't do this, but you know how it is, right? When my son was born overseas, I was offended immediately because... My Chinese relatives began pointing out all his flaws. Oh, he has a big forehead, or he has this kind of nose, or his teeth came in and they were like this. And You know, how, this is hot, right? So, you know, your parents maybe motivated you to play piano by saying, your cousin is so much further along than you are. She's grade eight and you're only grade four. Or, you know, you're in your sophomore year of high school and, oh, you know, neighbor next door got into Yale you better study harder if you're going to keep up. Or, you know, I would so much wish that we had a chess champion in our family like my friend does. You know, there's something we don't want our children to get proud. And so instead of building them up and making them feel like they're special when they're not, we make them feel maybe a little bit less special than they really are. And that kind of thing carries over to how we view each other, how we view our ministries, how we view our church. Before you get into this bandwagon, jumping on some celebrity, some celebrity church, some celebrity ministry, some celebrity pastor, before you even begin to get into this comparison, ask this. Take out Paul's screening device here. Use this as a device to screen. Say, look, can they compete with Paul theologically? Can they compete with Paul financially? Can they compete with Paul on the basis of calling? Can they compete with Paul on the basis of gentle nurture? Can, can they compete with Paul with, on suffering? 
Can they compete with Paul on depth of mystical experience? Can they compete with Paul in humiliating disabilities? Can they compete with Paul in the power to perform miracles? And if they can compete with Paul on all of these eight criteria, then yes, acknowledge their celebrity. But if they can't compete with Paul on any of these criteria, then acknowledge what he says. All of this comparison is stupid. We don't seek to honor churches. We don't seek to honor ministries. We don't seek to honor pastors. We seek to honor the God who, by his grace, works through us. Let's honor him together. Let's pray. Father, we value those churches and those ministries and those people who've come into our lives, through whom you've built us up, through whom you brought us to Christ, through whom you discipled us, through whom you nurtured us. We thank you, Father, for those ministries that we've been part of who've built into our lives. At the same time, we ask you to be with us. Open our minds that through the Apostle Paul we might understand that we can celebrate what you do through all churches, in all ministries, through all pastors and missionaries, in all times and at all places. We seek to honor you, not our human heroes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.